Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. All right, welcome back or welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan. I am Jason Padolan, and today I have another amazing guest for you by the name of David Nemirovsky, or Nemo, as I more affectionately know him due to our days in the Florida Panther organization. Nemo was a 84th overall draft pick in the fourth round by Florida. Florida, a little trivia here for you, had four picks previous to uh, Nemo that year. They had number one pick overall, which, which was Ed Jovanovsky. Uh, number 27 was Rhett Warner, a 700-game NHL defenseman. Myself went 31. Uh, Ryan Johnson, a uh, career fourth-line center with 700 games. And my first pro roommate uh, went number 36. And then David went 84 in the fourth round. So David and I have a, had quite a history because we we sort of grew up together in uh, in the Florida organization. We went to our rookie camps together. We went to our development camps together. We went to the pro camps together. We played on the uh, Carolina Monarchs together and spent some time in Florida together. So David and I go way back. And David's career uh, was was quite lengthy. It was really long. He, he played uh, 92 games, like I said, with Florida. He was up and down in the minors uh, a little bit there. And then he went over to Finland and spent three seasons there and I think 10 seasons in, in Russia in the KHL. David is of Russian parents, uh, Russian descent, but he was raised... Uh, as a as a Canadian, his parents came over when he was first just born, I believe, and uh, and he was raised as as a Canadian. So he had this interesting hybrid style about him uh, back back when he was a player that he 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 played a Canadian game, but he definitely had a Russian influence, and he's taken that Russian uh, Canadian hybrid influence into his coaching abilities, and now he's being recognized as uh, as one of the up and coming uh, star coaches in the league. He's only forty three years old in the KHL, and he has done some great things with uh, torpedo there in, in the in the KHL there they're not a high budget team they're not a high profile team but he was able to have some really great results with them last year and this year they are performing better than expectations as well so David has aspirations of potentially maybe coming over here one day and he gets into that he is a father uh, he gets into that of a hockey player so he is also raising a young hockey player himself while coaching uh, a professional team so David has a lot of great things to say. He was always a pensive guy, always a reflective guy, a real thoughtful guy, uh, and a smart individual. And, and you will definitely get that feeling from him throughout this interview. So I'm super happy to have him on. I'm glad he was able to spend some time with me and with us. And, uh, and I'm grateful for, for the hour or so that we spent together. So without further ado, I bring you David Nemirovsky. Dave Nemirovsky I have in front of me right now, making me smile real big because uh, Nemo, we go way back, as you know, um, way back to our Toronto days. And, uh, and anyways, kind of kept in contact through the years. And uh, now you've been so good as to get on the uh, get online here from way over in Russia and have a conversation with me. So thanks so much for doing that. And thanks for joining. My pleasure. Awesome. Um, so Nemo, I, I want to get back into it here. Well, first of all, I'll introduce you quickly. Um, 
ex-NHL player, uh, 91 games all with Florida. Uh, I believe you were a fourth-round pick uh, to them. Uh, hopped around in the minors, uh, went overseas, did, did played pro, uh, I believe, in Finland, Sweden, and over in Russia. Um, and now you're in the coaching ranks. Um, essentially, a lot of people think it's the second-best league in the world. You know, head coach of, uh, of Torpedo there in Russia. And uh, I want to get into all of it. Um, so I, I, it's a real honor to, to have you with us. And I, I want to start the way back because I think your story is interesting. And, and to be honest, um, I don't even really know uh, about it. Like I'm talking about how it all started because I identified you more as a Russian player, but technically you were born in Canada, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So can you talk about that? So like, were you, was your parents then first generation? Did they come over and then, uh, and then you were then born in Russia as a first generation or, or what was the story there? Yeah, that was correct. My, uh, uh, parents were all born there and, uh, they defected in 1976. Basically, I think, uh, they came over, uh, I think it was like four or five months before I was born. So my older brother, who's two years older, was born in Russia, uh, before we came over. So, yeah, so technically, you know, my whole family besides me was uh, born in Canada. Wow, that's crazy. Or Russia, you mean? Yeah, your whole family other than you was born in Russia, right? Um, and then I, I uh, in doing some research on you for this, I, I read or heard that you you didn't start speaking English till grade one when you went to school. Is that is that true? No, I mean, uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, my parents could only speak Russian, so it was just uh, Russian in the house and Russian with the friends that uh, came over. And uh, obviously, just going to kindergarten, and I would learn some English words, just as every kid would. But uh, yeah. most kids probably uh, learned a little bit more English at home before they started kindergarten. So yeah, it was a little bit different for me, but I think it was it was okay. The English was always basically my my first language anyways because uh, Russian was just the basic uh, words that I learned and then uh, then basically when I started uh, going to school learning English and you know later on learning French it was Russian was uh, in, the, in the back so I, I really didn't uh, say perfect my Russian or uh, learn any Russian uh, uh, in school or formally so I never really knew Russian until I basically came over here Gotcha. Yeah, I know that's interesting. So was hockey a part of your family history then? Like, was your dad into hockey over in Russia? Uh, no, I think I came from, uh, came from a soccer family. So when they came over to, uh, to Canada, I know my dad was a sports fan. So obviously he loved hockey too. So uh, me and my brother, obviously growing up, uh, being raised in Canada, is, it was just, uh, it's everywhere. So, you know, it was just our interest and uh, my dad's interest that uh, – we play a lot of sports and uh, me and my brother played a bunch of different sports, but hockey was our first love right away. We loved it and we wanted to play and my dad uh, helped us all with that. Awesome. And you were in the GTA, correct? Yes. Yeah. So uh, for GTA, Greater Toronto uh, area, uh, which is a hockey hotbed for Canada, um, which is the center of the universe for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Did, were you a part of that whole culture? Were you, were you a Leafs fan growing up? Uh, yeah, I was part of the culture. I think every kid was uh, sort of least sad and on and off. But then I had uh, other favorite teams, but I can't say I, I bounced. Uh, actually, it was kind of weird. My favorite team growing up was uh, the Hartford Whalers. So I wasn't, uh, I wouldn't say I was against the Leafs. I was I'd say I wasn't a diehard Leaf fan, but uh, I was a fan. I watched all their games, uh, but I was more diehard for uh, the Hartford Whalers because my uh, 
my favorite player, Ron Francis, played for them. So I was Sweet. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's that was my first NHL game was against the the Hartford Whalers. Um, so they got a special place in my heart too. I remember my first my first ever face off. I was lined up against none other than Stu Grimson off a of face off back when he played there. So that was my that was my welcome to the NHL. Uh, Hartford and Stu Grimson. Um, no, that's uh, that's cool because I also saw that you were influenced by the Soviet Red Army or, or Russian traditional Russian hockey. You watched a lot of that growing up. Was that just because of your roots, essentially? Like, what what drew you to that when you were actually living growing up in Canada? Well, you know, it's still coming from a Russian family and uh, growing up in Canada, watching those uh, Canada Cups and all that, and and you know, most of the close friends and relatives who were all still, you know, cheering for uh, Russia. So I was in the cot in the middle. I was, you know, can't say I was cheering for either or, but it was, uh, I got caught watching it. So I, I watched every game and my dad was also became like a hockey fanatic when uh, we came over and uh, my brother too, he was a little bit older than me and they, they filmed every single game that Canada, Russia played and other games. So uh, we had a, pretty good collection of maybe about over 300 games international so we always watch those things like over and over and over again so it's kind of my uh uh i guess uh learning material right yeah i know obviously that's before the days of youtube and all the other stuff where you can watch anything whenever you want so um that was actually a real I can imagine how that was influential for you because at the time, I like your opinion on that, but I, th I think the games were, were quite different at that time. You know, like a, the Canadian style of play was quite a bit different than the Russian style of play. I think they've melded over the years and I think there's more of a hybrid approach now, but, uh, but back then they're, they're quite separate. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, hockey evolves pretty fast. And I think uh, once technology improved and the videos improved, I think everybody started learning uh, from each other, you know, especially uh, uh, many of the countries like Sweden and Finland were kind of open, but uh, I think uh, in that terms, uh, they learned, they started learning a lot from the Russians early on. Uh, a lot of Russians were defecting over there uh, being coaches and, but you know, when it was still communism, it was kind of hard to go over. Once it started opening up, I think it started, uh, the knowledge started spreading both ways. And then I think uh, everybody learns from each other. And I think uh, if you look at the Canadian game or the NHL game, I think it's just a, a hybrid of all, all different leagues and they take the best of it all. And I think they've done a good job. Sure. What do you think at the time was something that drew you to the, to the Russian style of game that you maybe embraced or, or adapted and put into your own personal game? I think just the puck possession, the combinations, you know, I think uh, it, it was, it was a part, uh, it was uh, pretty, uh, it worked pretty good for them, you know, and, but, you know, they were missing, I guess, the other part of the game, which the Canadians always showed. Uh, so it was, I think what you see now is probably a combination of both. Right. What do you think that the Russians were missing when you say the other part of the game? Because they definitely were, uh, you know, I think Detroit emulated that a lot during their cup uh, cup times, right? Where they were, they were totally about keeping the puck. They were one of the first ones that would, you know, they would they would come back at the, at the opponent's blue line to regroup again and to bring five guys up. And that was something that had never really been seen before in the North American game. Um, so I think, I mean, they use that obviously to their advantage. They have the players that could do it as well. But what do you think was maybe missing uh, when you said that they're maybe missing something? from the Canadian game? I think it was just, I think, yeah, again, you go back to the puck possession. I think that's which key right now in the NHL where everybody that says puck possession wins, right? Uh, if you dissect it, there's probably some stuff. Uh, I think, you know, 
growing up in Canada, was, uh, you learn hockey way differently. You learn the, the competitive side and, and you do everything to win. And I think uh, that's we get from uh, playing games. We play games since we're young and we're, we're taught to win and, and do everything to win. And, and uh, in some ways it's, it's good, but it teaches you that competitiveness and, and it ingrains it in you, right? So I think uh, as in Europe, I think they, they play a lot less games, especially when they're younger. Even, even the pros, they only played, I think it was a 38 games. So uh, imagine how much the, the younger kids played. They just practiced a lot. So they didn't really learn that uh, game, game stuff. And I think that was probably the, the key thing in them. Uh, so I think that was part of it and probably experience in playing those kind of key games. Cause I think yeah. over here, they, uh, you know, it's, I can't say it's same, but it's, it's a lot different back then. You always had like two or three teams that were just stacked and, you know, the red army and dynamo. And basically, you know, if you go back to the history, it was, uh, they just took all the best players from all of Russia and they just put them on the team and you didn't want to play there. You were, I don't know how, how you say you were sent to the army or something like that. So it was, it was two teams really stacked. So out of the 38 games, how many games did you really have competition? So I think when it comes down to it, uh, that's what the uh, team Canada had. They had the NHL and every game's competition there doesn't matter. I mean, and that's what yeah. made the team have way more experience in those kind of moments than, than, than yeah. Russia. Yeah. That's interesting. You equate that um, to even like the youth level. I, I love that aspect and, and, and maybe giving credibility to the fact that, I mean, you grew up obviously in the GTA and being a Canadian and, you know, I had the opportunity to play on the Canadian national team and there's just something about, and whether it's true or not being a Canadian hockey player is that you thought that you were grittier that you thought that you would go that extra mile, would fight through, you know, and that was something that about, that was about us that made us different. Um, and you're, and you're kind of pointing the finger at the fact that when we compete from a young age and we move that forward, you think that does become part of our DNA. Um, that's interesting. I, I think that's interesting. So you think that's a pretty big factor, right? the actual the, the competitiveness from a young age? I think so. I think it's the competitiveness in a young age and I think it's coaching. I think, uh, I can't say when we were younger, we had the best coaches. I think the coaches here now in, in Canada are, are so much more advanced than probably we're growing up. I mean, at least from, from my standpoint, I, I've I learned a lot of positive things. I can't say a lot of hockey things, but the, the coaches are way more advanced now. But what they did teach me was good habits. You know, you know, if you remember, some of the coaches were some back then were volunteers, but they may have not be able to skate that well or teach you certain things in hockey, but they would teach you, you know, stop in front of net, shoot the puck, uh, just give it, give it your all, you know, and, and just those little habits that they would teach you. And I think almost every coach in minor hockey taught you that. And that's mm-hmm. what ingrained in you and the, the compete and, and doing the right things and being a good teammate, which is very important. So I think those little things that ingrained were very important at a young age and uh, what the Canada has always done well. And I think that just boils over to when you're older. And obviously it comes later on, it's, you know, can you do it at a high level? Can you, you're skillful enough. And that's, you know, some guys are born with it. Some guys work with it. And, and, but those, those other things that are ingrained in us are very key. So right. I do a great job. And I think they're still doing a great job uh, doing that. Yeah, no, cool. Do you, I, I want to get into the coaching um, more officially, but since we kind of just touched on it, do you feel at the level you're at now, um, where maybe there is a guy, you know, maybe a high skill set, maybe, you know, maybe individual skills look good, but maybe lacks a little bit of the, 
the grit, maybe a little of that tenacity, maybe a little bit of that want. Is that something that you feel you can work with a guy on still at that point in his career? Or, or is that, is that something that you think is, is just part of the personality and something you can't really get through to? I think it's uh, a bit of both. I can't say, you know, every, every single player is different. So, you know, I mean, if you take the high percentage, if they're already older, past that 25 years old, then uh, to ingrain that grit in them, uh, you're looking at 80% of the time or maybe more, no, but you can never say no. So it's, it's only after you try and do everything that maybe the guy will figure it out. So it's kind of hard because every single person is made differently. So yeah. it's... Uh, Kind of, it's kind of hard, but uh, the only thing I could say from from my experience here is that I don't have that problem in my team. It, it's 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 very surprising to me, but it's uh, it's not a problem for us. We just right. I don't even, they they're they're all gritty and they're all compete. So it's it's a it's a pleasure to watch because I know you have that stigmatism. Not every uh, uh, foreigner or Russian that, that competes, but uh, our team competes. So it's kind of I'm not sure how his other teams coaching other teams, but our team. Yeah. I don't so I don't have to ingrain that on anybody on our right. team. Right. No, well, that's great. I mean, it has to be a testament to you too. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a culture developing there that's about that. Um, I just touch on it because I think, you know, a lot of people that listen to the show, uh, Nemo, are either parents or young players that are aspiring to go somewhere to do something. And, um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of research, even the evidence that states, I mean, a lot of this stuff is coachable is teachable um and you talked about the good habits right at a young age like this is i mean that is such a crucial time right because yeah it's never too late i agree with you i think it is never too late like the window closes but if you can if you can get good support early on and get those good habits and understand um you know what it takes to compete and to, and to separate yourself boy i mean what a what a valuable lesson that is right um I want to get back to you. So growing up, because we have a lot of kids that are playing minor hockey now and everyone's trying to keep up and, you know, who's going to make it. And, you know, everyone has these big dreams. Like were you, would you uh, qualify yourself as a star uh, minor, ho minor hockey player that was kind of, everyone had a spotlight on him as being destined for the, for the pros or what was your own personal story? Uh, I wouldn't say uh, I was a star. I think uh, I was a silent star, which was good. I think uh, the main point is I just got better and better every year. I think uh, growing up, I had an older brother who was probably more, I wouldn't say gifted, but he caught, caught the game a lot faster than me, maybe skating wise and, and the technical part. But uh, I just, uh, I think it's very important that, that you don't stay at one level and you just get better. I think, I mean, I, I see that in some kids, you know, the kids that just get a little better every year, like uh, those are the kids you, you really got to watch. And of course, there's some kids that are just really great from a young age and, uh, and depending on what, what you see in them, that will be the superstars. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't turn out that way. But the guys that are always getting better, that means there's progress every year. So I think I would categorize this in that. I would say I would be a silent star, even though I was probably, probably I'm not sure, leading point getter in every season, but I was probably a leading goal scorer every year, but nobody, nobody really talked about me or heard about me. So it was kind mm -hmm. of a silent score. But uh, again, I think it just, when I got older then people started realizing that uh, that was getting better. Did you, do you remember at that age, like how, was there a process for you to get better? Like, were you, were you pretty diligent about, about trying to improve or was it more or less something that just or less came naturally? I think a bit of both. I was always on the ice. I think uh, in uh, 
growing up, we didn't skate as much as they do now. Uh, I remember we had maybe one practice a week and then maybe if you break it down, one and a half games a week. And then sometimes certain teams will try to find other practice. So you have two practices and one and a half games a week. So mm -hmm. just based on hanging out with my older brother and his friends and we're just skating in the outdoor rink and then, uh, you know, do the Christmas camps and uh, the summer I did, uh, I used to do from a young age, I think I did about eight or nine weeks of Monday to Friday. It's about six hours a day. I think it was, I think it was four in the morning and then two in the afternoon with a skating coach. So that was, uh, that was different. So that was uh, probably, you know, a big aspect of my development. How old were you doing that, Nima? I think I, I started when I was seven doing that. I think seven, I don't think I did the full, went up and up. And I think maybe about when I was 10, I was doing the eight weeks. Eight weeks. Do you, um, do you remember liking that, like enjoying that time on the ice, working with the skating coach, six hours? Like that's for, for a lot of kids, I'm sure, and maybe a lot of parents might think, oh, this is going to be great, and, and then the kid doesn't like it. Like is it okay not to like it if you didn't like it, or do you remember that being, do you remember that being something positive you look forward to? No, I think I always liked it. I think just because you're around all the kids, you know, there's a wide range of uh, ages that were on the ice, and uh, basically we're lined up by age uh, so I made a lot of friends and I had a lot of fun, you know, and it was, I think it was maybe if I look back, it was, it was, it was a lot. I wouldn't do that with my son now, put him through that. But uh, in terms of that's, that's what, a, what it sort of uh, uh, took at that time. And uh, the coach was uh, pretty hard, hard, uh, hard coach and very uh, aggressive and demanding. So sometimes it wasn't fun, but uh, I can't say I never had fun on the ice. So as long as I'm on the ice, uh, always had fun. So I can't say, I can't say I enjoyed it 99 or hundred percent of the time, but I'd say 98 or 95. Right. right. No, I get it. Um, an interesting thing I heard, I heard you say there was about the shinny. Um, and I, and I, I think personally, I think that's a really important part of the game that now is gone is starting to, to be gone and leaving because the kids are on the ice so much and everything is so structured, right? There's somebody telling you these guys what to do all the time. Um, obviously instruction is good. If it's a good instruction, it's nice to have some stuff set up, but um, I think some of the creativity is leaving and some of just like that, the fun is leaving. How do you feel about that? Do you think there should be more room just for play? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've talked about this a long time ago. And the way, way, which way I dissected it was uh, in Shinny, you just played with a range of different people in different calibers. And, uh, you know, when you're playing, just having fun, a bunch of guys are not structured, you know, and they're just playing for fun. They might not play. They might have played before. Now they don't play. But when you're going a guy against uh, – he has no idea what's going on. He doesn't know what to do. You know, usually you know what the guy, if you're going to show left, you're going to go right. And but some guys that can't really skate will, 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 you know, mess you up a little bit. So just, just doing that and playing that and playing with a wide range of, uh, of talent, age group. Uh, I think that was uh, pretty good in development. I think it was, it was perfect. It was just something not uh, normal. Yeah. As today, maybe you watch the skill development, they put it underneath the stick, they jump over the stick, but it's not a moving person, right? So yeah. It's better to, to, to uh, beat a moving person, especially if it's, uh, it's not the norm, I guess. Yeah. 
No, I agree. I, I mean, I totally agree with that. And the, the thing is, though, is like, how do you put that into practice? I mean, you said you're a dad now. Um, how old's your son? He's six. Six. So like, how, how would you do that with him? Would you, would you try and keep him out of some of the special skill development stuff and, and, and push him more into, into having some free ice, some open scrimmage? Or like, how, how do you incorporate that into actually developing your son? Well, I think at this age, I think he's, he's, he's okay with that. I think he has, he has a lot of fun. His, his coaches are, are great. He has fun with them and uh, the players in the team. So he does all those I say those little drills with the sticks and the underneath the thing and he loves it. He loves it. So uh, I think at this age, yeah, because I think he might be too young to play shinny or to play, but they, they always finish the practice with just playing. Right. Yeah. So that's key. So that's basically their, their form of shinny. So yeah. I think it's, uh, I, I'm really surprised. I think they're doing a really great job in uh, minor hockey because I think the kids love it and they're just po- positive, uh, atmosphere which is great for the kids yeah that's awesome so you uh i have a my youngest is six as well so he's a first year first year novice he's having a birthday right away so i guess your son would be a first year novice as well then right six yeah yeah i guess it's uh it's the first year of house league that they allow him to play so they uh he started so he's never played before or any team so he started this year and he uh went house league and then they took him to select. So he plays. So now instead of having just one game, one practice a week, he's got uh, two games and two practices a week, which is great. And then- oh, he's a young Nemo following in your footsteps. Yeah, he loves it. He's asking for more. I just don't want to wear him out because it's kind of funny. He always said that I'm never going to be a hockey player. I don't want to play hockey. So I said, okay, if you don't want to play hockey, and then all of a sudden, you know, just being in the environment in Canada, just now he's a hockey nerd. So it's kind of, it's kind of funny to see how it just flips and, less than two years. Right, right. Yeah, no, good for him. How do you, um, what is your take on that? I, I have a lot of people ask me, um, you know, what is too much, you know, and, and at what age or, or what's not enough? And there, there's different theories of thought out there. Like you, you, you read Carl Subban's book and he would, he was waking his kid, he was waking PK up at 10 o'clock at night when he was six to take him to public skating until two in the morning, whether he kind of wanted to or not, because he just felt that sometimes kids don't know what's best for them. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of schools of thought out there. I mean, mine, I think I want the kids, I want my boys to be begging to go to the rink. You know, like I, I'd much rather have it that way than have them be like, oh man, not today, right? Like, so that, that's my approach. I want it to be more intrinsic. Like this is something that they want um, more as opposed to this is something that's force fed. Uh, where do you lie in that whole scenario as uh, raising, a, raising a boy now? I think every age is different right so at this age here I, I think it's it's as much as he's asking for it right so he when he's excited and he wants to go and he, right now he's got the two and two right two games two practices he's he's fired up and then we have him signed up for uh uh in between we have him signed up for a skills one hour with the same house league program so the guy that runs the house league has uh, skills on the on the one of the days during the week and and so basically we'll just go at, at how he feels that day. If he doesn't want to show up for one of the other practices, because I guess there's one, one's mandatory, one's not. So just uh, if he doesn't show up that, he goes to the skills or sometimes he goes to all. But depending on how he's feeling, if he doesn't want to go, I don't push him. Uh, so far, he always pretty much wants to go every day. And uh, the more he's playing, the more he just keeps on saying yes. So it's basically now he's – sort of not saying complaining, but he's asking my wife, I want more. I want right. to, so, so I sent him to, uh, 
sending them to uh, my friend uh, Danny Ray. I don't know if you know Danny Ray. He's a skill coach for uh, shooting and stick handling. So he goes to him a little bit uh, like of a off ice dry land uh, stuff. So he's now he's yeah he's doing it like five six days a week. But it's, <laughs> it changes every week. But that's all him asking for. We don't we don't even ask. Hey, do you want to go? this he just says oh can i go to that place there to work on my shooting and stuff and so just it's just all him so i think it's just every kid's different i don't think yeah. there's one one way to approach it i think it's just i think the best way is when your kid asks for it you, you take them and i think then it gets different when you get older right because when you get older you have responsibilities you're a part of the team and you're in a competitive team and you know you should show up to every practice every game as long as you're not sick and stuff like that so i think right. that's that's important. So it's kind of hard to say to, uh, depending on what age group you're yeah. um, Since we're on kids, I was going to ask you, might as well ask it now. Like, what is your thoughts there on that summer spring hockey? You know, like some, some parents really feel like they're being left behind, you know, if they, if they don't have their kid in spring, you know, I want them to play baseball, but oh, I don't want them to be left behind or, you know, it just seems like hockey can become a, a year round sport now. Is that, is that something you see in your son's future or where do you think now as a professional coach, like where's the game coming to when it comes to that? Well, hopefully right now, as of now, I don't have to worry about that for at least another year after this, but I know that's the pressure. I think it's, it's not even the pressure of uh, the kid uh, wanting to play summer. It's just the pressure of him falling behind. And I think uh, that's the one thing, but I think, it's hard to say it's in every situation again if the kid's asking to play it and uh you know we're trying to get my son to play other sports and he said nope i don't want to play other sports i just want to play hockey so every kid's different but i think the pressure that is the bad part of it the pressure is oh if we don't play summer hockey we're going to fall behind those other guys because they have so much more hours so and then you get that comp- competitive uh, stuff for to make the team so that's kind of the tough part but i think I think the break is good. I think I think it's good, but I think that's the problem. I think it's the pressure. I think yeah. it's the pressure. I think I can't say for every coach, but I think the problem in North America or in Canada and Toronto is that the pressure of the coach who's coaching you during the winter is also running a summer program, right? Right. So those tournaments. So then you sort of get a little. Some coaches, I can't say all. I don't know for sure, but uh, I think some of them pressure them that they sort of have to play if they want to be treated a little right. better in yeah I think it's I, I agree I mean I think it's being firm I think it's it's easier a little bit easier maybe when you and I like you know parents like you and I who have a hockey background that you know been around it um I, I think I think you're going to get there right I mean I think if you're putting in the work in the winter and you're doing your stuff and you take two months off like you're going to get where you need to go yeah uh, I think you just have to have faith in that and I think that you got to trust your gut you know, and, and, and stand firm and don't feel like you're, you are going to get left behind. I think there's going to be a time um, when, when that is like, I don't know, 13, 14, maybe 12, um, where you're going to have to choose. I think it's sport. I think you're going to have to choose hockey and this is my thing and I'm going to do it. But if we're talking like seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds, like I, for me, I think that's too early to think we got to do this all the time. If we're going to get somewhere, I think, you know, open up the horizons and, and be brave as a parent, you know, and, and really encourage those other sports. That's kind of, that's, that's my message. Yeah. I think that every parent, they don't want to see the kids struggle or uh, lag behind. And I think the key point is if you do that and you, you decide to take them away from the summer hockey and not as much, then you got to be patient when the season starts or when practice starts because he might be lagging behind, but he's going to catch up. Yeah. And 
and if you know that's that's the part you know i think people right away the first practice oh he's a little fall behind and, and that's when the panic button starts and i think you need to be patient wait for a month and then you'll see it's going to balance out and then you know and, and that's how it works so i think the problem is is you're always as a parent you know sometimes panic oh my son is He's not as he's not as good as other kids right now. You know, I should have put him in more hockey in the summer. But you know, those kids that uh, develop and there are are sponges, they'll they'll catch up. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing I'll, I'll add is, which I think is interesting, and sometimes parents don't think about, it, is if you're if they're not constantly told to be where they're supposed to be, like okay, you have a nice session here, or you have a skills thing here they're left to figure out something to do on their own, you know, whether that be rollerblading or whether that be shooting pucks in the garage or slide boarding or something. And I think if you can encourage that development too, right, make that, make that motivation more intrinsic about how am I going to get better, right? If I'm not in front of a coach with a whistle, um, that's a real good life skill too. I think not alone just being a hockey skill, right. But being, being a good life skill. And I think the yeah, the less you can put that on them. Okay. What are you going to do today then? You know, what, how, what are we going to do here to get better? Uh, I know I wish, uh, I wish that was a little bit more present in, in my upbringing. Well, I guess it was, I shouldn't say that because I was an only child in five acres. So there was a lot of time where I had to go do, figure out something to do. Right. But I think in this day and age, there's so many distractions with the phones and the iPads and the video games and, you know, all this after school direction that a kid isn't left to figure out what it is they can do, you know? And, and uh, I think that's lost a little bit and should be encouraged. Yeah. I think, I think that's, it's different times. So it's kind of hard to, uh, I don't know, say it. Uh, give opinions or understand where they're coming from, right? So it's uh, it's a little different, but I guess I guess it was probably different too from our parents growing up to us. So it's oh, so so it's uh, it's it's funny how it works that way. So, it's, I yeah. Guess, yeah, so it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, you seem to be a guy that, that ties. I mean, you're you're a hybrid kind of a player, you know, from your upbringing. You're you're a little bit of a hybrid coach for, from what I've read and seen. And I think that's an interesting aspect too, is just being a hybrid from the eras, actually, right? I mean, be progressive. Like this is the world we live in now. But what was good about back when we played, right? What could be useful in this and and try and combine them and and be a little bit, uh, you know. Uh, holistic about our approach to what we're doing. Uh, back to you, Nemo, with your with your junior career. A lot, a lot of the people we have listening are either wanting to get to the OHL or are in it or don't know how to get in it. Like, what was your journey like to get there? And um, just explain what your experience was like going to uh, going to an OHL team. You know, your rookie year and, and that whole that whole feeling. Well, I think it was you know when you're growing up in Toronto, you're always watching all those OHL games uh, on TV. I guess it was the game of the week and. Uh, uh, driving to some of the, the the teams around Toronto, watching and I remember growing up, uh, going to Oshawa Generals game, watching the Lindros play and stuff. So it was always, you know, a dream of a kid. Your first dream is to play in the OHL, then obviously your end goal is the NHL. So it was exciting and, and nervous. And it was, uh, I think, you know, when you look back to it, junior was probably one of the best times uh, growing up uh, or your hockey career, because that's when, everything's sort of pure and not a business and you don't get paid. Uh, and, and you make so many close friends around your age group. And then when it gets uh, to the pros, it, it becomes a little bit different. So it was a really good experience, I think. And it's kind of hard. I, I'm not sure if you, what question you're asking, but I think it's a little different now growing up uh, than, than when I was in terms of making that decision of going to junior or college, because 
I think now they give you those uh, college deals. So after your uh, career is uh, done in the OHL or, or the CHL, I guess, uh, you get a college package, which is great. And I think that's unbelievable. It's something that wasn't around uh, back then. And I think it makes the decision a lot easier uh, what you want to do. To play the OHL, so you you would recommend that uh, that would be that would be the route uh, if you had to pick A or B. Or again, I I would assume it's individual. I mean, to the player as well. But um, I think it's in the I think it's up to individual. But you know, when you look at the NCAA program, it's unbelievable. So it's it's a very tough choice. I think it, depending on how you're developing, and I think it's going to be a lot up. You know you have to make your decision up yourself, but I think it's a parents might have to play a key role in that to see what, how the, how the son is developing, because, you know, depending if you get drafted as a underage and then you have the two years to sort of first year to get that experience on your belt and then second year to perform. Uh, in my instance, I would never had the underage. I didn't get drafted underage. So I only had that one year to perform before you draft, you know, and how that works. If you don't get drafted, then you're sort of, push back in the list and that's makes uh, the life to the NHL a lot harder. So uh, I think in that standpoint, uh, NCA is a great option too, because education is key. I think, I think if you could come out of the university with the education and, and the, the way to develop the kids now in the NCAA, it's, it's a, it's a tough decision. I think it's a really yeah. tough decision. I think, you know, it all depends on where you're at in, in your career. But, you know, if I would choose, I would probably choose if I was making the decision for my son, which was to be this decision when he gets older, but I would choose NCA for him. I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting because you, you, you spoke, you know, so highly of your time in junior is one of the most pure times, right. Uh, of, of your, of your hockey experience. I would say the same thing. I played four years in Spokane. Um, at the time, uh, it was it was definitely regarded as the best route to the NHL, right? To play major junior, uh, if you had the opportunity, you would go. There's very few people like I can think of Paul Korea as one of the only ones I actually had a chance to play with him in BC Junior League. That was a high draft pick that chose college, right? Like usually the high picks were coming out of the major junior, and that was your route to the NHL. So it wasn't it wasn't a serious consideration for me to go to go university. And I have no regrets with Spokane. Obviously, there was ups and downs, but like again, there's like some of my best friends still to this day were from the, that time in my life, right? Playing three years or four years in Spokane. Um, but even in saying that, I would like to have tried college, or even now, I would, I would like to experience or have my son experience what, what that is. Um, one of the interesting aspects, though, you touched on earlier, which I think is interesting. What I think is great about the college system is there is less games. Right. You're spending more time actually practicing, working on your skills, working on your development. Um, and whether that's good or bad, I guess, again, that depends on the player, right, and where they're at in their development. But you are sacrificing game exposure for practice time in that scenario. And, and you mentioned that sometimes you guys need to have that competitiveness, uh, those opportunities to develop that grit and those other things that are, that are involved in being a hockey player. So there's, there's definitely two sides of the spectrum there, whether to NCAA or, or major junior. But I think either way now, which is nice, is, is uh, it, it's super – I don't think there's a downside, right? I don't think you're, you're going down. You're going major junior now, you're getting a, college, a scholarship after. Um, awesome, right? If you're going major junior, you're getting, the, you're getting the university opportunity education while you're there, and you still have a great opportunity to be a pro, right? So – um, 
where do you lie as far as like, so you had Brian Kilroy and Mark Hunter. I had the pleasure of playing for Mark Hunter. I'm talking about your coaches now in junior. Brian Kilroy is one of uh, kind of a legend um, in, in OHL circles. I didn't know him personally. And, uh, and sometimes legends, uh, you know, precede themselves uh, righteously. And sometimes it's not even a good indication. Do you think he deserves his, his place in hockey lore as being, as being one of the greats? Well, I think so. I that, you know, his, his personality is one of a kind, and I think the way he coached uh, the teams and how uh, he was tough but fair—like those, those sober things—I didn't know what to expect because I'd never met him too until I came to camp. And you always thought, you know, he's uh, good friends with Don Cherry, and you know, tough hockey, and he's just gonna make you run around and just hit everybody, and and you don't know what to expect because you thought. And then when you get there, you know, he. He's, you know, it was totally different. He loved the guys that played, you know, obviously he loved the guys that play hard, but loved the ones that were skilled because he was a skilled player too. So it was definitely uh, one of the best experiences of my life uh, playing for him. And it was, it was fun. And, and I, and I could say I, a lot of my coaching I do now, I, I learned from him. You know I mean? If you would say I learned from every coach I had, you know, uh, if uh, I played a lot with that coach or if I didn't play that much uh, ice time wise, uh, I think I learned from everybody. I think I would be a fool if I didn't. But I would say uh, my style, I think I learned probably the most percentage out of uh, Brian Kilroy because I think uh, he was ahead of his time. I think he was ahead of his time in the way he approached and, and had meetings and uh, talked to the players because he had that thing about him. He could be tough and, and just give it to you. But at the end, you know, just... Uh, I don't know, give you a wink or a smile saying you're better than that. Don't worry about it. Go out and show it, you know? So it's kind of like, I don't want to say put you down, but just give it to you hard. And then at the end, make you relax. Cause you know, when every time you get yelled at or something that your, your first uh, reaction would be tense up and how is the person going to be tensed up going out next shift. Right. So yeah. I think you had that, the ability to let the person know, tense them up and then relax him right before he went out for the next shift and I think that was a big thing I learned from him and it was kind of it was kind of fun to see yeah that's wild I mean that's that is a secret sauce right there right I mean you can learn that as an individual on an individual level right like how to I mean whatever you want to call it, mental toughness emotional management whatever that case may be but if you can have a coach that's actually interacting with within that psychological element right of the game and and, and assisting you instead of, instead of hurting you, um, that, that's, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? Yeah, he was, he had, there were so many aspects to him, because, you know, besides just being a good hockey uh, man and so knowledgeable with the game and knowing how to get the best of his players, but he was also one of the funniest person, you know, man you could, you could meet, you know, his one-liners were probably, you know, the best of all in hockey, so yeah. that, that was fun too, even when it was outside the the game when there's no game and or after practice you know he loved the one-liners and he loved to chat it up so it was uh, he had so many aspects you know I think he's he definitely he's a even he's even higher than than uh than people say but the legend you know he's even bigger than that so I think people when people meet them then, then they realize you know this this is a special person well, that's awesome. That's great that you took so much from him. He must have been progressive too, because the way you're talking now is definitely uh, like the style of your coaching seems like it's, I mean, it's, I would call it new age, right? I mean, when we were, when we were playing, um, motivation was generally based around fear, right? Like either lack of ice time or yelling and screaming, then go get the job done. And so you had to deal with, 
with your own stuff internally to be able to go out there and execute on the ice based on this fear um, sort of mentality, right? Uh, and now it is more, I've, I've seen the pendulum swing actually really far the other way almost with some guys where, there, where there's none of the accountability side, right? Or, or uh, less of the accountability side and more it's all the sunshine and rainbows. And I don't think that's right either. So it's interesting that you're having that, that hybrid because they're both relevant. I think, yeah, you know, there's, there's all different moments and there's different mistakes players make. And, and some of the ones that, that people think that you should really rip into the players are the, the big obvious ones. And I think, I mean, everybody knows what happened there. You know, right. mistakes happen, you know, they, they don't need to be, you know, the, it's, it's, it's self-explanatory. You know, I mean, it's not something that you need to go and video and, and, and show in front of the whole team. You know, it's not a tactical breakdown. It's just a, sometimes a mental error. And it's pretty obvious, you know, just, yeah, I shouldn't do that. And the guy realizes right when he's, you know, after he's done it, there's no point to uh, to go right after him, you know. And sometimes my tactic would be uh, I wait a little while just to make sure he understands and, you know, gives him the look or, or say some words. And, uh, uh like I said, every situation is different. I think every player is different because you try to figure out how each player ticks, right? I think it's a huge thing. Yeah, the personalities of that. Um, and back when we played, it was more of a, I felt at least, I don't know what you think. It seemed like it was a blanket approach generally, right? Like the coach would have one way of, of doing it and either either you kind of resonated and responded or tried your best to figure that out or else you were kind of on the outside looking in sometimes. Whereas I think like your, your aspect and I think my aspect when I'm dealing with with kids too is how does this guy work right how does how does this guy work and how do I get the most out of this individual um instead of just you know spraying spraying one philosophy out for everybody uh do you do you feel like you kind of in your own personal playing days did, did you ever feel like god I wish someone got me a little better I wish there was I don't know if that's the right word to say wish because I know that we all had a high level of accountability and we knew we had to come and play. But was there anyone that really resonated with you that you felt like, man, this is, this is a good marriage. Like I really enjoy playing for this guy. Yeah. Like I said, uh, Brian Kelly, obviously uh, Mark Hunter too. Uh, you know, and there's some, some others. Uh, I think when it, when it comes to the end, I think you got to keep yourself accountable. So I don't try to make mis, uh, excuses for stuff I did, but I guess if you look back at the communication, it wasn't the same level as it is now. I think the communication of uh, organizations now, if you see that the, there's a whole group of people, there's skill coach, there's a, there's all different uh, coaches and uh, uh, management There's a lot, a lot more people involved. And I think the communication is probably a lot higher uh, than when we were playing in the NHL. And I think that's just the evolving of the game. And uh, I think, yeah, I think communication of uh, of what I needed to get better or do or stuff like that uh, and maybe more visual and stuff like that than just yelling at the person. You know, you're yelling. You know, first thing when someone you yell at someone, what's your first reaction to close in? You're not, you're not, you're not uh, absorbing anything. You know what I mean? And when you when you see something on the video, it's like, yeah, you know, it's different ways, different approaches. And I think the approach, I think the approach when we were growing up, I think it was very singular that it would, it would work not on everybody. I think the percentage would be a lot less than the approach they do now. I think the percentage is way higher that it's actually getting through players. So right. that's part of the evolving. I don't think there's anything wrong with the coaches back then. I think 
just the times i think you know the, some of them that are not coaching now they're with coach now i think maybe they'll evolve and they'll be the same way as as most coaches are coaching right now yeah, I agree. You've touched on two points, sir. I want to make sure I write a note here because um, the yelling is something that I read in an interview that you that you talked about from the coaching aspect, and and uh, and I want to get back to that. But you mentioned something that made me think of a story, and so we ended up playing for Al McAdam um, in St. John's, uh, not together, but in the same year, ironically, there um, because because I was gone. I don't I don't think we were we had ever played this. We did. I think we ended up playing 10, 10 games. 10, oh, 10 right, right at the very end before I got traded, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's right. So we ended up getting reunited there right at the end. And so Al, which you know, and, and uh, so he was a real quiet coach, right? Like he, he was pretty stoic, didn't say too much. Um, and you talk about the communication. So funny, I mean, I really have nothing against Al. I mean, it was, it was just one of those, these hockey stories, right? You say accountability. And there was, that season was my best season as a pro. I scored 42 in, in the A, um, ended up getting five more in the I, almost had a 50-goal season. It was the highest in the minors, right, uh, uh, out of any player. And I couldn't get on the ice with Al. Like, first, like, there was a section of games where he just wasn't playing me on the power play and he wasn't playing me. Like, if we were down one at the end of a game, like, he wasn't putting me on the ice. And it was just a – and he wasn't telling me anything, right? Like, there was no, there was no message, right? There was no – so I'm lost, right? And obviously, you know, 22 or 23 years old and want, wanting to be in another league, right? Wanting to get ice time, wanting to perform. And I remember thinking, what am I going to do here? So I wrote, I wrote like a, this three or four page letter to him, right? To my coach. I mean, I never had done that since or previously. I thought it was like real vulnerable. And I'm like, all right, wrote this whole thing out about, you know, whatever, kind of where I wanted to get to, why, why, uh, why I felt it was relevant, like why I wanted to be on the ice, why, how I thought it would help the team, you know, how I thought it would help me and kind of like this scenario and more or less asking why. And you know what his response was to this day? I giggle now, but at the time it actually broke my heart. He, he gave me the letter back. Like I think it was maybe the next day, let's say the next day. I don't even remember. Didn't say a word. Al McAdams hand me the letter back. And he turned around, walked away. So I went and I opened up the letter, like this four-page handwritten letter before computers and all that jazz. And all he did was circle I every time I used I. So, like, I, the message was, I guess he thought I was selfish. At least so that was, like, my communication, right? I'm like, so I'm, I, I'm too selfish of a player, I guess, right? But, like, even that, like, it was brilliant by him. But for me, like, it broke my heart, and I still didn't even really know what I was supposed to do, you know? Um, so I think like this day and age, obviously that'd be, a, I mean, there'd be a meeting, I'm sure. Like you'd explain to me, I want you to work on this or we need you to do this or whatever. Right. Like I just remember being so lost that year, like not, uh, that didn't leave me with any answers as a player. It, it kind of, you know, it left me, it left me wondering more. Yeah. You wonder, cause you don't know for sure. Cause I mean, I, I at the, you know, I think I was a, a pretty fair uh, man and, and just, he was, uh, yeah, I didn't talk so much, but I think, you know, I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, I think if if you would go into to the coach's room and talk to them, players are afraid to go to the coach's room and talk, and that's very important as a coach, not to just say it. You know, some coaches just say, "Hey, our doors open." You know, anytime you want to come in, you know, with that attitude, but by repeating and, and saying it and saying it not only as a team, uh, when it's a team meeting, but when there's individual, when you're meeting with the individual, like just around the dress room, 
you say, listen, if you have questions or concerns, you know, come in, we could work on video, we could do that. I think it's just important. And I think some coaches didn't know. They thought, well, I, I told them that they could come in and talk to me and stuff like that. But I think they don't really know how to really send that message to the players that it's actually just not words. It's actually real. Come in, talk to me. Let's figure it out. And I'll explain to you, you know, why maybe I'm not playing this uh, much here and there. And I think, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think Al was, was pretty nice. He was, he, was, he was different. Yeah, he was quiet. And, and sometimes he'll show emotion. And, and uh, he was highly intelligent, I think. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know his reasons because I probably had some time with that with him. But, but I, didn't really, I didn't really feel that I could uh, – I respected him. I thought he was a great, guy, a great man and a good coach. But I never felt that I could probably go into the coach room and talk to him. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and that is the thing. I learned that even in like outside of hockey, being in upper management with, with, uh, with employees is like, you only have an open door policy when people actually come in through the door and talk to you. <laughs> right. You can, you can say you have that, but if no one uses it, then you don't have that policy. Right. So, I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding. If, if guys are talking to you, if your players are talking to you, you have an open door policy. And if they're not, then you don't, even if you say you do, right? Because there's always somebody who wants to say something. I think communication is big, and that's back when we were playing. It was We were told to do it, and we did it. There was no whys, right? There's no why you're supposed to do it. And I think now being a good coach in, in whatever aspect is like you really explain the reason, right? Like what, what's happening psychologically, what's happening emotionally, what's why tactically, like why are we doing these things? And now you can really get behind it. And I think that's, that's part of the culture, which I think is interesting because – you wrote in, in a, or you were quoted in an article as saying that I, uh, we allow our players uh, to make mistakes. Well, I think it was taken out of context a little bit with the translation, you know. Uh, I did, it, was, it was more of, you know, hockey is full of mistakes and, and we, we allow the, the player to, to make a mistake and we don't just punish them, we teach them. It's a different approach, you know, as, as here uh, some teams will, your mistake, you're gone for like three or four games, you know. And uh, I guess thing we're going going back to the open door policy, to the videos and thing, you know, it's your job and and as a coach to make the team better. And by making the, every single player better, it's it's the best way to do it. Because if I'm not, if that guy's not playing and he's, I'm not showing him what he could do better and explain to him why he's not playing and to to sh- make him fix the mistakes and, and to to improve. Obviously, our team's getting worse. So for me to say, you know what, he's got to figure it out, you know, that's not good enough because he's not going to get better and we're not going to get better. And so it's my job to make him understand and work with him and stuff like that. And I think that's very important. And then just, you know, you know, he'll figure it out. If he doesn't figure it out, he won't play. But right. I think every player is important. And I think that's your job as a coach, not to let the player figure it out. I'm saying there's always different scenarios, but your job to is, is to get the point across and, and to make them better, to make every player better. Because if you do that, then your team will exceed expectation. Right. I think on face value, like getting back to that quote, whether that was a misquote or not, I thought it was brilliant because I mean, you could, somebody could pick that apart and be like, you're, what do you mean? You allow, you celebrate mistakes. And I, I think it's the exact opposite of that. I think when you're in an environment where you don't feel like your first error your first miscalculation is land you on the bench or in the press box. Like I know that I would feel more comfortable on the ice, right? More creative, more un- uninhibited, right? More relaxed, which is going to get a better product overall, right? So I think 
that's why I look at that quote. I'm like, this is brilliant because if, if I feel I'm in a spot where we're not that mistakes are celebrated, but they're allowed, I'm going to get back on the ice again the next time, right? Like I know that I'm going to be able to do this. Of course, in a professional environment, you can't have bad result after bad result after bad result. But I think that at its core, if you embrace the, the ability to make a mistake, I think you got a better team. Yeah, I mean, there's all different scenarios, and I think the players know that, and I think confidence is key for any team and any player. Uh, it doesn't matter if he's a fourth-line grinder or he's a, a goal scorer. It's always confidence in what they're doing out there and their ability. So uh, there's certain mistakes. So, I mean, I sort of try to teach the, the players the risk to reward, you know, uh, it's when you're placing a bet and what are you going to be, you know, winning out of that. So basically risk reward, if you could make a pass, that's going to be over two sticks, a saucer pass and that player receives it. He's going to go on a one on two, but if you don't make the pass, it's going to go two on one the other way or two on nothing the other way. Is there a risk reward? Why would you even try that? You know what I mean? So there's yeah. no thing. But if he makes a pass over two sticks and that player is going to get a breakaway, you know, or it's going to come back the other way. It's going to be a two-on-two. But, you know, you have to try. You try to be creative. So there's different times that you need to try things. And sometimes you need to play basic. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's always little things. You know, puck bounces. There's, there's always little things. So if you really want to really break down the whole game, you'll find so many mistakes on every player. And uh, so I think that's the thing is not to be scared to play the game. And I think that was very important. Uh, going back to that, just it's a, uh, coaching a minor hockey team. Uh, was a 2000 born uh, when they were 13. Uh, I was coaching, and the first thing I did when I took them in the summer, I said, "You're, you're not going to get benched for trying." I said, "You're going to get benched for not trying." And what I meant by that is because at that age, you know, you just you get the puck, you go, you know, and then you pass to the guy that's open. But when you get the puck and you just blindly just throw it out of your zone when there's nobody on you. And then just, just take the puck and just throw it. You won't get better that way. It doesn't matter who you are. So if you did that, you got benched. If you tried something, then that's fine. You tried. In the zone, you want to beat someone, make a pass, or try be creative. That's what I want. I don't want you just to give up on the play. So, I mean, it's different it's stages in hockey, right? The stages at, at a young age, they need to learn. They, you watch some kids, they just... They skate back and he throws it forward and that guy gets it back and he throws it back this way. That's not the way you learn. Yeah. You're never going to learn. If you, can, if you can't control the puck or hold the puck at that age, then you're going to in trouble when you're older. So I think it's, there's steps to it. And that, that's what I really tried. And, that, you know, I think the kids really got better because they knew that I was confident that don't worry about that. Just, just try your hardest. If you try and not afraid to play the game of hockey, then you're never going to get benched. If you just give up and don't try – then yeah, that's my problem with you. Right. No, I, I, I just love it. it. Makes me smile because that's the exact same message I'm using. You know, with the team I coach, which is which is nine and ten year olds right now. Um, I mean, on on an on the ice basis, and that's why I say be a hockey player. Right. I just say be a hockey player. Hockey player is somebody just throws the puck away, and doesn't want the puck. You get the puck, make the decision with it. I'll never get mad at you for making a mistake with the puck. Right. Like you, you try things, be confident, learn, grow. Um, yeah, don't be timid, don't be shy, right? Be, be brave and, uh, and we'll figure it out, right? That's the biggest thing is me is just try, right? You make the mistake, what, do you ha what happens after that mistake? That's, that's another one too, right? Like go back and get the puck again, right? Like you have, that, have that resiliency and that grit. I think those are important too. I want to circle back to confidence because what a huge deal. Um, 
And I, I mean, what I see as you're speaking now, Nemo, too, like as a coach, is exactly what we talked about as players because we were both 20-year-olds in Florida um, getting called up from the minors, being successful in the minor leagues and getting called up and, and being in an environment where it was scary, right? I mean, you're in the NHL. You're young. You're trying to fit in. You don't want to make a mistake, right? You don't want to go back down to the minors. Yet, how do you, like, kind of get let go and, and free yourself and go play? Um, and I know we both really would have loved to have a little bit of more – I don't know what the right word is rope, right. You know what I mean? To go out there and, and really let our stuff kind of hang out. Um, and so I think you're taking, you're taking what you, what you learned as a player and now you're, now you're offering it back to the players that, that are playing for you now, like go play, right. Go play, go have fun, right. Be creative. Yeah. I think that's important. I think, so I think it was, I'm pretty sure Gretzky said that, you know, without confidence, you're nobody, you know, you need to be confident and you need to be confident in yourself. And I think at a standpoint, yeah, that you, you like some rope and, and you like to, to show more confidence from the coach uh, in your, in, in our standpoint. And I think, but I think there's sometimes that I, I put the blame on myself that I should have been confident, you know I mean? I should try because if I don't, it's not going to work out for me. You know I mean? Not saying doing risk, but be confident in myself, not be afraid you know, to, to do some things, you know, cause you, you can't control everything. But I think if I was more brave and more confident in myself, then I would try more. And of course, yeah, you're just afraid to make a mistake and the coach is going to uh, bench you. But uh, otherwise you're not doing nothing either, both ways, you know, you're just getting by and that's not the way to do it. So I think you need to be, I think confidence also is, uh, is inside you. And then obviously it's a, a coach, you know, he, uh, you, you need to feel the confidence from the coach, the, the coach confident in you. And, and uh, I try to tell all the players that coaches are never going to be, or at least I'm never going to be against you. What did I win from being against you? I want only the best from you. I said, so I need, uh, I'm just going to try to help you whatever you need and uh, try to make you the best player as possible. Cause that's just going to make our team better. So I think that's very important to get for them to get in the head that, that I'm not against you. I'm with you. So, you know, and, and that's sometimes hard for some people to understand. I think from our, our, in our case, yeah, I mean, it's, it was different. And that's all I could say. It was, it, it was different, you know. It, it was just all based on us to get the confidence from ourselves. Yeah, but it wasn't us, us versus them thing. I went to the NHL Coaches Conference here in Vancouver, and, and, and that's, that's what they were talking about there. And it was recognized by Travis Green and, and some of these other ones that back in the day, it wasn't us versus them mentality, right? The players versus the coach. And it was almost like, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. They weren't really, you didn't feel that they really wanted the best of you. It was almost like, you know, you had to cream rise to the top. Whoever was the toughest could get it done, right? And now it is more of this hybrid approach where it's like, yeah, no, they, they are on your side. And like that, that bridge has been shortened. I think the gap has been narrowed, which I think is a good thing. But I 100% agree with you from a personal level that, my gosh, I wish that I had developed more internal confidence at that level to be brave enough and be courageous enough to not just play safe. Yeah. To go play, right? To go play. And I do think that's an internal thing. And well, I do, I know it is now because of all the reading and all the training and all the stuff I've done after hockey, which is one of the reasons why I'm even on this interview with you right now is because it is something that you can cultivate and you can learn and you can grow, right? Um, and, uh, and I just want your, your opinion on that. Like, do you, 
one, do, do you believe that it can be something that can, can be grown, something that can be taught? And two, do you think confidence can be given? Do you think a coach can give you confidence? I think a coach could give you confidence. Like I think a coach could take away confidence too. I think there's a balance. I think it's uh, that's very key. But it's kind of hard to uh, say 100% of the time. I think, like I said, every individual is so much different. And uh, and I think, but I think most of the most of the time is is your confidence could be given from both sides. I think it's I think it's sometimes it. it depends on the percentage i think if the, the the player is not so confident in himself so a lot of the confidence should be coming from the coach to to show him you know that he's doing a good job and you know you know here's here's what he could do better but you know he's actually doing a better job than he thinks so that's going to obviously you know shift the, his uh, confidence uh, a little bit higher and i think that's uh and I think it plays both ways too. I think that sometimes you could be overconfident and the coach has to not take that confidence away, but maybe just dial it down just a very little. We're talking really small, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's important. I think just environment, I think environment, I think uh, uh, confidence could also, it's also based on a, a positive environment uh, around the team. I think that's, that's key too. I think when it's a negative environment or negative uh uh, group or or moments, I think that that's what probably takes away a lot of confidence, not only in the player but in the team. So, I think that's uh, one of the bad things. So, I think if it's a positive environment, then 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 they'll breed confidence. Uh, I think if it's negative, I think it will it will some people maybe it won't affect, but uh, a lot would probably will. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, read quite a bit and listened to Mike Babcock uh, speak, which I mean, as he. I don't want to date this podcast, but he just got let go uh, recently. Um, but one of the best, I mean, whether it was the right decision from Toronto or not right now, I mean, we, we won't debate that right now, but I think it's, it's tough not to argue that Mike has, has proved himself to be one of the best coaches in, in the league for a while. And, and he, he speaks about confidence as being something that's, that's internal that you earn, right? That you earn from this process of improvement and commit and committing to this, this process that then gets you results, right? So you get this little improvement, then you get results and you get more confidence and you continue to go on this scenario. And, um, and not that he's never, I never really heard him say that confidence can't be given, but he's, he, he was really speaking about it more from an internal standpoint, which, which I agree, but I do agree with you too, that there is a time where sometimes you just need someone to tell you, Hey man, I believe in you. Yeah. You know, hey, man, like you got what it takes and now go out there and show me. Right. And like that's that can be the wellspring for, for the right athlete at the right time. So I, I do think there's a place for it to come from your environment, from the external. But if you can walk into an environment with that with that with that confident feeling of like, yeah, I belong here. I'm supposed to be here. Right. Like that, that, that really goes a long way as well. Yeah, I think that's important. But I think like everything is just not one way of getting the confidence. I think there's so many different uh, aspects. And, and I believe it's in that in many aspects of life, I think, even in uh, what kind of food you should eat and what way you should go, which diet you do. And I hate the word diet. I just think it's just, uh, I think it's just a little bit of, of everything is the best. And that's how everything, I think there's different ways of getting confidence. And I believe, yeah, I, I agree with Mike that, you know, confidence partially is earned too. So I believe in that uh, highly, you know, you have to earn, but you know, we're, we're, we're talking about something that's obvious, you know, when someone just doing nothing and just how, how, how should you be uh, confident in him? And why is he so confident when he's not doing nothing? You know, there's, 
it's different scenarios, so you can't you can't really bunch it into one. But yeah, a conference is earned too. You know, a lot of players in my team they they earn the confidence. But if they earn the confidence, it's my job to 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 give that. You know, to make them understand that you're you're doing a good job. Keep it up. Be you know, be confident in yourself and your ability. So if if you're gonna give him negative uh, feedback when he's doing things good, it's you know, it's so it's kind yeah. of hard. To, but uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I know Mike can. I read his book. I love his book. Uh, leave uh, no doubt and stuff like that. I think he says really good things. Uh, yeah. Um, what do you look for in a hockey player, Nemo? Like if you're you're coaching, I guess I mean I don't know if you actually scout or you do any recruiting in the position you're in, or you you just have the team in front of you. But like what what lights you up? Like what 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 characteristics that maybe I mean outside of the skill set of he's got good hands or he sees the ice well. Like what do you like to see in the room from your players? Well, I'm uh, pretty much in the me and the GM pretty much uh, for the last two years we picked uh, the players together. Like we we scouted them, watched videos, uh, found out about their personalities, and so obviously you know what we're looking at is uh, his personality, right? Is he a team player? Is he a good guy? Does he get along with his teammates? Because uh, every situation is different. You can't say that we're in an uh, NHL situation here in the KHL where every team has different budget. You don't have the a salary cap uh, so you know we're not a high budget we're probably one of the lower budgets in the league uh say i think we have i can have a little uh i think we have 24 teams in the league or 23 teams in the league and i think we're probably 20th in the budget from the bottom where i think we're at fifth place in the league right now so uh every little signing and every little thing that uh positive player good in the dressing room that was very important and of course, in Europe, the game is a little bit different. You need skill. You know, it's harder to score. You see, the the average scores are a lot lower in Europe, uh, and the point the guys that have the leading points are a lot less than they are in the NHL. So it's a little bit the rink's a little bigger. So it's you need a little bit more 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 talent, uh, or not say talent, but skill to to be uh, to score uh, here. So obviously, look at a lot of those aspects. But creativity, you know, it's kind of. It's hard to defend against creativity, you know. I mean, you see that with uh, with McDavid right now and uh, Drysdale. You know, the players are so creative. Uh, Patrick Kane and you know, even even Crosby is so creative. Even though he, you know, uh, I think creativity is is is, is probably the only what, two aspects it's hard to teach. You know, creativity and 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 reading the game, the vision. How uh, I would always say that McDavid sees the game like two or three plays ahead. That's that's really hard to teach. It's thing, but I, I think there's ways to teach it. I think there's ways to teach it, and I've been working on it myself uh, a little bit and uh, trying to to study and uh, reading books about it because I think I think I'm not sure if everybody could develop it, but I think a lot of people that don't have it may be able to develop it, which would be really key in hockey. And that's a super interesting concept. I mean. Uh, Mike Sullivan from Pittsburgh at the coaches conference, he talked that he said that mindset is the next frontier in, uh, in professional sports. He said, essentially in hockey, his position was we've kind of mastered this physical, the physical element, right. With the, he's checked on the diet and the office training, the skill development. And you mean like this, you know, the curve on that has just been, has been crazy and everyone's pretty dialed in all the teams, but he's, he's talking about like that next aspect is like what's happening between the years and, and how do we, how do we get the, the next level out of our athletes? And when you're speaking about creativity, which is definitely a mental component, um, 
you know, and how, how are you, how are you embracing that? What, what's your, what's your take on, on how to, how to promote that? Uh, there's uh, certain ways, certain, uh, I think video, show video of uh, where he, the player might be looking. Uh, I think I just, I keep on working on it a little bit. I, I can't say I work on it a lot because it's kind of experimental. So I don't really want to experiment with the team. It's a professional team, but there is sometimes I would throw a drill in there to experiment with them. And uh, I think a perfect example, I think a couple of days ago, we worked on a drill uh, where you do a regroup. So the puck is, everybody's inside the blue line and then you have the 2D or pretty ahead. And I, I place the puck to the far blue line. So the defenseman skates up to the puck and then we have three three players attacking other way, and then two defensemen. So when he's skating in there, I make the defenseman choose a player. So he's got to choose; they got to choose one player from that line. So when that defenseman picks up the puck, he's got a split second to react, who's open, and give him the breakaway pass. So just working on that, and then they go in, take a shot, and then the whistle. We get another puck, and they do a normal three on two. So it's kind of abnormal three on two regroup, and then a normal three on two group. And I well. think little things like that, making them recognize who's open fast and making their brain think and uh, oh. you know, teaching them maybe to look over the shoulder, see where the player is cheating with, to which player. So I think little things like that, but there's other things. Uh, uh, there's stuff out there. I think like there's a, a place in Toronto called Mind Gym that a lot of NHL teams are using now. I oh. think there's little things. And uh, I had a good conversation with, uh, uh, I believe her name was Shapiro, who runs that uh uh, clinic there and was that Brent Yeah, yeah. I had a, a long meeting there, a really good talk, and we talked about that. And I, and I was talking to her about some other lady that was, uh, uh, I think it was out of Australia, who was working on that stuff too. So it's yeah. kind of kind of important. But I think there's ways to do it. I'm not sure we were there yet, but it would be very important to see if we could. Uh, it's sort of a creativity and sort of reading the game uh, ahead yeah. of time. So. Yeah, Brenly works with the uh, Phoenix Coyotes there. I know in, in their uh, in their development, kind of a sports psychologist sort of ish role. Um, yeah, no, really, there's there's gonna be some breakthroughs, I think, for sure. And I think the, the you know the mind that aspect of the of the mind and whether that's even how we practice, right? Like pushing through those comfort zones, right? Getting guys outside of their normal, outside of their comfort to to create that uh, those new connections in the brain. Like there's there's all kinds of awesome stuff that's happening there and it's awesome that you're on the forefront of that too, because I do think, you know, yeah, it's a professional team, but you always want to be getting better, right? How are you getting better? I mean, sometimes it does take experimentation. It takes being brave there. Um, I just want to circle back a little bit on, on the, on when you said you're, you're identifying players, right. On a limited budget. Uh, you know, I think this goes right down through the ranks. I mean, you have players that are, the, the real skilled players, let's say the, you know, the guys that are at the top of the, the point board, you know, my, my wife can go into a hockey rink and probably pick the best player on the ice. You know, I, I don't think that's, that's hard to do. Right. But what is hard to do is to find out those intangibles on the sixth, seventh, eighth guy, right? Like, well, how is this guy going to be? And when you, when you mentioned, you know, is he a good teammate? Is he, is he uh, you know, a hard worker? Is he this, is he that? Like, where do you, where do you place that on your, on your, on your hierarchy of, uh, of hockey traits? Like do you take, do you put a lot of, a lot of credibility in, into those off ice sort of traits? Yeah, I think so. I think I have to. I'm just in the situation I have to. Uh, I think it's important. I probably wouldn't put it so high, you know, maybe five, ten years ago. But uh, I think it's very important. But again, it's 
it's if you could find the skill and and the mindset like that would you say it's uh, it's thing and i think uh we got really lucky me and the gm here we see the game pretty similar and uh uh, we did a lot of scouting. I, th I think we, we found a lot of players that are really highly skilled and, and good, hardworking players that were just uh, underrated. But now they're not. You know, I mean, I think it just, you know, you install, give them the chance, install the confidence, and then, then it's a different player. And they're like, you know, and I always say I, didn't, I, I don't make anybody. They make themselves. All these players, they said, well, you know, he, he's really good with you right now. Now he's a national team. He's he's a star player in the league. He's leading, one of the leading scorers. I said, it's his decision to make himself. He makes, nobody makes anybody. You make yourself. Obviously, you get some help. And so yeah. the only thing is, is I give him a chance, install confidence. But again, he earned the confidence, how Mike Babcock would say, right? So yeah. there's 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 points where I give the confidence and then he earned the confidence and uh I think that's very important that uh, that the player, you know, takes a lot of the credit because it's it's in him to change and to change little things to make him better. And I think uh, it's it's kind of hard to talk about my team because it's uh, there's so many different aspects. The players are are very creative and, and they're different different ways of creativity. So it's like we were just uh, on the bus today with the, my assistant coach, uh, played in NHL a long time, seven, seven time all-star, uh, Sanders Ozelinch. He's my D coach. And we're talking and we're, you know, we break down other teams and we break down their systems and we watch video and then we show it to the players. And I was like saying, how does other teams break down us? Like, how do, how do they break down us? Cause I'm curious because I can't break down us when we have the puck in the zone or we're going into the zone, you know, we have, set plays but we, we we have we leave it up to creativity you know what i mean and uh like how do you defend it and then it comes we could we could do it through like power skill our our lines have a little bit of everything so it's like okay it comes this way next shift is coming that way and it's 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 fun to watch and it just it was curious we were talking about it and then he was like we need to find out how other team sort of breaks us down because we don't know how we would break it down because i know how i break down other teams i watch it but in this in this standpoint and that's why we're again we're i say we're 20th in the league in in budget we're number one in the league in goals for you know, I mean, other other teams have five times more budget, six times more budget. They have like three players that are probably more in a whole team budget. You yeah. know, the thing on the other standpoint, we, we let in a lot of goals, you know, but uh, our record is really good. I think we're third in the conference right now. Uh, you know, we're it's on par, same points as Da, who's probably, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, but uh, it's fun to watch. No, I believe it. Yeah, I'd love to be able to see some tape. What a, what an awesome opportunity to work with Sandus. Um, the uh, how, how did that connection go, and what have you been able to learn from him um, and and his? I mean, uh, amazing NHL career. Well, I think I think uh, uh, he came in sort of halfway last year. He let our defensive coach go, and then he came in, and I met him before uh, the organization hired him, and we got along, and we had. Uh, our mindset was pretty similar on how we want to coach and, uh, and how I wanted to coach. And this is the way he believed this. So we, we worked at, and we have, uh, we have him, we have another uh, NHL who played four or five years for Vancouver and Artem Chibarov. He's a local guy from the, the city and he played there, speaks perfect English. And our, our goalie coach, uh, uh, Clement Mohoric is from Slovenia, speaks English perfectly. And our, our strength coach is 
Kevin Chapman from Toronto. So we have a pretty fun uh, coaches room. I think I would say I think it's we have a tight tight coaches room that everybody gets along, and I think that's also very important. When you see the coaches get along and have this good relationship, it sort of passes on to the players. When you players can see tension when it's in the coaches room, and I think that's very key. So I think it's sort of the uh, the players' room mirrors the coaches' rooms, which is which is uh, very important. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, interested your on your opinion from uh, like so practice habits or work habits. You know, like something that uh, I think is a part of a team's culture. But where I'm going to ask this direction, I'm going with it is like. I felt that as a pro, I actually progressively got worse because like the, the practices were team practices and like I stopped working on my individual game. You know, I wasn't doing the things outside of, out of practice that were going to make me better. So I felt like I ended my career with worse hands than I started my career when I, when I kind of reflected on it. Do you, do you allow the guys time to, you know, to work on that? Do you promote it? Do you think it's relevant um, at, at, at this stage of the game or how, how do you, how do you think about practice and, and that aspect? Well, we, we, our schedule is really, really tough. So we do, when we do practice, I can't say we practice very long. So we have a lot of time left for the guys to practice, uh, to do extra. So there's a lot of guys, they stay on, they do, they work on a range of things in the shooting, stick handling, you know, some of the guys that I see that have a little bit of a problem, maybe uh, controlling the puck in tight and stuff like that. I show them a couple of drills that they should do almost every day or every other day. And then, then, show them new ones, uh, those little skills. But I think what it comes down to, I'm not sure if it was the same situation as, as you. When I got to the, I did the always when I was a little kid and I was like, you know, got to the pros and say, well, this is not what pros do anymore. You know, I mean, that was the wrong kind of attitude. I think that's when you actually have to do even more. I think you need, if you're not, if you're not, uh, I think everybody should keep working on their skating. doesn't matter how old you are. I think you get better. You get better skating. I think as you see it now, a lot of NHLers, they're working on their edges. I think Crosby, like in the last couple of years, still working on his edge work and, the, and his skating. And I think that's what's changed a little bit since we were growing up. I think they didn't really think. And I think the NHL teams are doing a great job. I think they realize that. And I think a lot of players realize that. And I think a lot of players do a lot of skill work in, in the summer, which they never did before. And right. I think, uh, that's what changed, and I think it's important. I think all that stuff is very important that uh, they they keep it up and they do yeah. it. And there's nothing such thing as a, a pro drill or a kids drill. Hundred percent. I tell my guys that right now. I go. I mean, a lot of the stuff. Well, not a lot. Some of the stuff that I do with them. You I mean like Crosby does? Like we did. We did in Florida. You know that that a nine year old can do. Right? And, and so like I think there is there is a connection there that you mean hockey development, hockey development. You just have to have. I mean, essentially, a relentless approach to get better, right? That you've never arrived. Like you're not there. You know, it's like here I am. I don't need to do anything else. So you got to keep, got to keep going, no matter what age you are. Uh, and and we, like you said, I, I think I think we both sort of had that a little bit. You know, like we were we we had the stuff with Lindy Ruff, or we do some stuff afterwards. But it was it was it was just uh, I don't know. The culture wasn't quite the same. I guess you know. I I talked to some guys that had uh, you know that were around a guy like Rod Brindamore, for instance. It was like, my gosh, if you ever felt you could go home after practice, like, no, you couldn't because he was still there in the weight room doing something or he was on the ice doing something, you know? And I think when you have, when you're surrounded by guys like that, or you have a team, like you said, that does that, 
after practice, everybody's out there working on their craft. It's just, it's what you do. You don't know any different, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, with my team, I have the other problem. I got to kick them off. Right. So it's uh, sometimes even, especially on game days, you know, as like I tell them, you know, here's the time. I want everybody off. And I just, sometimes, sometimes I would leave early, but now I stay and I start blowing the whistle like little kids to get them off. <laughs> we have in between games or practices, you know, we practice and I give them time to think, but then it goes to a point that you're just doing nothing and you're just going to kill yourself for the next day of practice or right. the next or they need to get into the gym to do the workout. Yeah, that's awesome though, Nemo. What a great problem to have, right? The guys are obviously enjoying themselves. They enjoy each other, right? They're not running out of there to get to go do whatever. So I think that's a, that's a testament to what you got building, what you're building there. I think that's that's key. Yeah, the way you build it, the mindset. You know I mean? It's, I, can, I don't have to make them work. They just work. Yeah. They just work. It just, it just, I don't know, maybe I just got lucky because it just makes the game so much easier and coaching so much easier when you don't have to really yell at them to work because they just work. They do it. You know, they do it. And uh, so that's, 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 that's the fun part, I think. Can you really say that they just showed up day one and everyone was just the hardest working, you had the hardest working team from day one? There's, there's nothing that you had, nothing you said, nothing at all. It's just organic. I think so. Maybe it's an environment that you put them in. Uh, but yeah, they just work. They just work. And I just, maybe we just got lucky with a great bunch of uh, kids that just work hard. Oh, good for you. I mean, that's very humble of you. I'm sure there's something going on there that you and Sanders have got going on that, that's, uh, that, that's, that's nurturing this, this type of environment, but um, that's good. I mean, it is about the players at the end of the day, right? You know, I mean, the coaches can do so much, but the players got to play and, um, and they do deserve, deserve the credit. There's one name on your roster that, I mean, if you're comfortable talking about him, cause I think uh, he has an interesting story and that's Ty Ratty. Um, a, a real, I mean, he's from out west here, so I know a little bit about him. He was a second overall Bantam draft pick, like blew blew it out of the water in, uh, in the WHL, like was crushed it in Portland, um, high draft pick, and then just kind of never got it going in, in the NHL. Uh, and now he's with you. Like, what do you what do you see in Ty? And and uh, what, do you even know him well enough at this point? He's only been with you a little while, but I think he's an interesting story. Yeah, he's been with us uh, for a little bit now because he started with a different team and then uh, it didn't work out there and uh, we uh, picked him up. Uh, we have Actually, we have three kids from out west, right? We have uh, uh, Howden and uh, Genaway. So we have three western boys and then we have one Ontario boy and American and a Swede. But uh, yeah, so Ty, is it, you can see he's highly skilled. You can see he's highly skilled and there's... Uh, uh, with him, he's just got better since day one. He's just getting better and better. And it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's fast, but it's, it's gradual. So I think what he's playing right now, I think he's playing great, but I think he has more in him. Maybe that's what the story is with him thing. But we've, we've had a couple of sit downs uh, when he just came and, and he just told me what, you know, he wants in, in, in his hockey career and, and stuff like that. And I said, well, I gave it to him straight. This is, this is what you have to do and whatever you need to to get it done, I will. I will help you, and I think uh, I think he's gradually working on those little things. So I think his end goal is maybe to go back to NHL. And I said, you know, then then you know, work starts now. You know, what I mean, and if he becomes, if that's his goal, it's just gonna make our team better. You know, if your goal is that you're content to stay in Europe, that's your uh, thing. Is sometimes it takes a, a stronger uh, person 
because uh, there's the competitive person. There's there's all different kind of hockey players are all different kind of breeds, right? So, yeah. so if that's his end goal, that's just going to make him a better player. It's going to make our team a lot better player. So we're working on that with him to gradually get him better and uh, to be the best he could be uh, this year. That will give him a chance maybe with some interest back home. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with him saying that he's you know, high, highly skilled. I don't think anyone has ever said he isn't. Uh, what, what, are you, uh, what are you working on with him? I assume it's like off-ice stuff, maybe mindset stuff that, that, that's going to that's take him to the next level. Yeah, I can't say I'm working too much mindset with him, but I think it's uh, just more, uh, I think uh, our uh, strength coach is great. Um, he's, not, I can't, he's not out of shape. He's not weak, uh, but you could always get stronger. And I think, you know, just little aspects, little things you could do in every single aspect of your game can make you the better player. And I think uh, just working on that, working on uh, – he's pretty – he's deceptive skater, right? People don't really recognize how fast he's moving. He's really deceptive, but there's sometimes that he could work on – he could get faster. I think it's just every little – just like every little thing he could do, just his shot get off a little faster. It could be a little bit crisper. So it's just like, you know, he's just there. He just needs to get all those little aspects uh, better. And, you know, uh, I think that's where you're looking at just to get – there's not one little thing, okay, you just got to have this better and then he's there. I think just a little bit of everything that will give him a better chance to maybe have a better shot next time. Yeah, those micro improvements are interesting, right? And, and uh, you know, that turns into maybe one, two, three, four percent, right? Four percent of that level's a lot. You know, ten percent's astronomical. And uh, and getting back to the confidence, if, if you start seeing those little things, you can get the shot off a little quicker. You start scoring a little bit more in practice. Like, all, all that stuff, right, I think, really makes a difference. But you do have to have the approach that I'm going to get better today. I think that's, like, that's... I think that's where it all starts, right? Like, it's like, I'm going to show up at the rink and I'm going to get better. And I think some guys have that and some guys learn it. And some guys just like from osmosis because they're being in the environment. But if you have a group of 20 guys that are like trying to get better every day, geez, that's a fun, that's a fun environment to coach and a fun environment to play in. Yeah. So I think, I mean, that's, that's where he's at. I think he's still young. He's got all that ahead of him so I, I think he knows that and he's he's improving every day now so I think you know sometimes some guys uh, I think I mean even me I think when I came to Europe and I think okay maybe I want to come back next year or I think many guys went through that so uh, you, you sort of want to be at the same level as everybody else and think that's not good enough to be, get back in the NHL and it's not about okay I'm going to finish the season pretty good here and then uh, get home and I'm going to start my real work to to get back there and that's not how it works it's too late. It's just start. I said, if, if that's your end goal, you know, it's got to start now. And, you know, he's a, he's a good kid and he's getting better. So I think no, that's that's the point, I think if he's, if you stay at the same level, but he's getting better and better every game and every day. And so if he keeps that up, then I think it's going to give him uh, it's going to make our team a lot better. And it's going to give his chance of, if that's what he decides uh, next year to try to go back, I think it's going to make it a lot easier for him. Yeah, no, hundred percent, and that's sage advice too. I mean, that's awesome that you're saying that. I mean, that's straight up, right? I mean, you can't, you can't do what everyone else is doing, right? Yeah. You, you got to do a little bit more, right? You got to do a little extra, um, especially if you have higher aspirations. And that's one thing that I talk to my guys about. Like, I mean, it's funny because, like, real seriously, no, at like the atom level, like 
you can have the same message as junior, as pro, right? Like, what does it take to be good? Like, what does it take to, to get better every day? Like, the, the messaging is the same. Obviously, you're delivering it a different way because they're younger. Um, but, uh, but I just think those are awesome life skills. And whether you transfer them to hockey or whether you transfer them to, you know, your, your, your job as an accountant, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, and, and I, the earlier you can embrace that as a foundation, you know, the better, the better off you are. I know what you just said there is something I went over to Europe with the exact same thing. I thought I was going to go to Germany for a year and then come back and continue my NHL kind of quest. And, uh, Geez, it was just like I was successful in Germany and it was easy and they were going to pay me some money. And I was like, you know what? I'm comfortable. I guess I'll sign the two-year extension. And that was sort of the end of my NHL aspirations, right? But that was that was definitely a choice, right? And I think you got to be relentless with that. If you want to pursue that dream, right, you got to be relentless with it. Uh, and not everyone's prepared to do it, right? Because it's hard. No, no. And, it's, and sometimes you need help. You need some people that are helping you and, and uh, explain things to you. And uh, I think uh, that was the difference. I think, I think now it's a lot better. I think, I, think they, I think teams maximize the players a lot more. I can't say everyone will make it, but I think they will maximize you instead of just letting you know you figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, I've, I've told this story a couple of times, never, never publicly like this, but like the one, when I got traded from Florida to Toronto, um, I still think this is like so hilarious at the time. It was, it was just completely normal. I know it was, but like went from, went from sleeping in Greensboro, North Carolina, right. Ready. I was going to play a game that night in Greensboro. You all, you remember that rank and how few people we had in there. Um, uh, to getting the phone call, getting traded to less than 24 hours later, I was in Maple Leaf Gardens playing against Eric Lindros and the Flyers, right? So like separate universes, like not even close, right? And I had a three to five minute meeting with, uh, with Mike Murphy on my arrival. And it was just like you said, figure it out, like completely figure it out, you know, like welcome to the team, you'll be playing here, kind of go get them, right? And it was like, Talk about the like the, the the hamster wheel, right? Like just going crazy, um, and that was the funny thing when I look back on it now is like me and somebody from the other end of the spectrum is like, boy, like what? you want your players to feel comfortable, right? Like you want your players to feel like they belong, like that they know what's going on because these are your resources. Call them assets, call them whatever you want, but it's human. You know, I mean, it's human assets that have like personalities, feelings, emotions, drives, goals, right? Like you want these guys to do the best that they can. And um, there's an, a certain amount of investment you got to make in them. And it sounds like, you know, you, you're making that investment as well. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, yeah, I think it's just times have changed. I think the times are changing. I think, you know, especially in the NHL, you know, with the salary cap era and the way the players are and the players getting the money and, uh, uh, it's not the same. I think the scare tactics don't work as much as they probably did back then when you had all that leeway of uh, trading. And, and that was hard to trade anybody, right? Because you got to make a trade. You got Both teams got to be happy. Then do they have enough room in the, on the cap to, to accommodate that trade? And uh, so then, you know, you have a really good player, but how many teams can really take him because they have no room on the cap? So yeah. it's kind of, uh, it's a different situation. And I guess that's, evolution i guess it's the way the game has evolved uh yeah. you know so it's uh, it's a little different than i think uh, most i think most of them i'm not sure i can't say for everybody i think everybody's doing a good job i think i think you're watching the nhl right now i think it's as exciting as ever 
Yeah, no, it totally is. And um, I'll touch back. I mean, the last question we've been on for an hour. It's crazy how quick this stuff happens. Um, like we could talk hockey forever. I'm sure you and I really good to catch up. But I'll say something about culture because it, it is something that I mean, everyone talks about it. You know, I mean, it's one of those things that you can talk about and everyone's looking for it. And I'm, I'm not sure if anyone will say in the NHL that we don't have the culture that we want, like they'll outright say it in the media. But some guys get it and some guys don't. And it's hard. It's hard to have that group and that leadership and that environment that actually, you know, embraces a culture of success, of confidence, um, of support. Right. And uh, I just want to give you a, you know, a, a fist bump and a high five because it totally, I mean, where you're at in the league and the goals and, you know, the, the everything that I'm reading about that team, it seems like you really got a good culture going on there. So, whether it's lucky, as you kind of say it is, uh, I don't believe that's the case. I think it's something that's that's created, and I think you gotta you gotta really focus on on, on that development. So, good on you on that. And uh, with that, Nemo, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up because you've been an awesome guest. I know you've given, where are you right now? By the way, I didn't even touch on that. You're in some hotel room in Russia somewhere. Yeah, we're in Chelyabinsk. We played in uh, Novosibirsk, which is. Uh... I'm not sure. It's a four-hour time change from Moscow time. So this one here is, I think it's two-hour time change from Moscow. <laughs> yeah, so the time, this is, we only have two uh, road trips uh, to, the, to the east here. So it's, uh, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's uh, 3.30 here or 3, no, 4.30 here. But we live on Moscow time. So right now Moscow time is 1.30 a.m. So not too bad. You're 4.30 a.m. right now? Where where the city is, yeah, four thirty. But we live in Moscow time, so we uh, right now it's one thirty a.m. Moscow time. Oh my gosh! Well, you should have you should have told me that earlier. I wouldn't have had you up so long. What a what a. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> we came back. We just got off the flight and uh, just came to the hotel. And I'm not gonna go sleep right away. I watched the video on the on the plane, so I'm right. fine. <laughs> now, I want the TV show right now before I go to bed. Life of a coach, eh? Yeah. Life of a coach. Uh, well, Neville, thanks so much. I mean, seriously, your time. Uh, very gracious with it. Again, you're doing some great things there. And I uh, love your new approach and everything that you're doing there. And um, I know we'll catch up after this, but I, I really appreciate your time and, and best of luck going forward. I had great time. I love the sticks in the back with the – is that the Gretzky knob? That is go oh yeah. I had this from a little video. This is Wainers, man. Yeah, I could tell with the the rubber the rubber knob was the thing. That's great. That was um, that was when Barn Mike Barnett was um, kind of re- trying to recruit me. We watched a game in um, in Los Angeles. Well, not in Los Angeles. He flew me to Calgary, so we watched the the Kings versus Calgary playoffs. It was Game Five, and Wayne and I met him after Wayne gave me that stick, and that's still one of the highlights of, of everything. And anyways, I got it behind me. Might as well keep it in the shot. And has that synergy next to it? Yeah, that was the last. Uh, that was the last pro stick I used. So. Two thousand three. Oh gosh. I'm so bad with you. I'm using that model right now. I found it in the garage, so that's my uh, practice stick. Oh, there we go. Nice, love it. <laughs> well, once again, Nemo, you go to bed, man. You got so you had a long road trip here, and um, I'll I'll let you know when we air this. All right, bud. Okay, perfect. Nice talking. Thanks, bud. Gotta do it more often. Cheers. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today and and listening to that interview with Mr. Nemirovsky. Nemo, thanks again if you listen to this. That was great. Uh, I want to thank everybody who has continued to listen here. Uh, The newer episodes that are going to be released are using the microphone you're hearing right now. 
Uh, the previous ones, like I recorded with David that you just heard, did not have this microphone and did not have uh, any type of requirements from my guests. So as you learn anything new, uh, things evolve. So the, the upcoming episodes have a better audio that I'm much happier with, but the quality of the interviews and the value there, I still wanted to release my, my old interviews. Uh, so thank you so much for listening to them. The, the audio will be getting better, I promise. So thanks for sticking with me. And please enjoy uh, what we have. And if you enjoy what we have, please subscribe and share and like. That's the only way to grow this thing. And that is my desire, is to get this uh, into young people's ears, young athletes' ears and minds, into parents' ears and minds, and into coaches' ears and minds, so we can arm our athletes uh, with the best, best information possible to make them the best athletes that they can be. So uh, thanks again, and until next time, this is Jason Padolan with Up My Hockey. Have a great day.